Tanner had uh, read ahead uh, with the sermon series that we're in or not, uh, but you're going to see that this morning's text is going to focus in on vision and uh, vision that the Lord God gives. Now, all of us have strengths and weaknesses. Uh, Some of us have more weaknesses than strengths, but all of us have strengths and weaknesses in life. Uh, My wife has really great eyesight. She has really, really good eyesight. Uh, which has always annoyed me since we've been married to, uh, married for these number of years. It's bothered me because we'll be driving down the road on the interstate and uh, I'll kind of squeeze my eyes and I'll say, what does that say? And she can read it clearly and tell me and, and sometimes she'll show off. I think she does it sometimes be mean. She'll ask me, what does that sign over there say? And uh, knows that I'm not going to be able to tell her what it actually actually says. I have my contacts in today, but when I have my glasses on, if you get up close to me, uh, you will see that they're pretty thick and uh, that the eyesight is really, really bad. Thankfully, because of corrective lens, because the corrective lens that uh, able to wear, that's not usually a problem. Uh, but about a month ago, it was a problem. I had not renewed my contacts, so I didn't have any soft contacts around the house. And my glasses, I was in the re- uh, bathroom, uh, brushing my teeth and fixing my hair and doing all that stuff in the morning. And I had laid my glasses down on a little ledge in the restroom, bathroom there, and uh, my glasses fell off. And when they fell, they broke. They fell just right, and they, they broke, and I could not see out of them. And Laura and Ethan had already left, and it was just me and Owen, my little one. We were the only ones there, and I couldn't remember where I'd put my old pair of glasses I, knew, I thought I knew the general area, what closet they were in, but I wasn't sure, and I couldn't see anyway. And so I began to grope around the house to work my way to the closet because I really can't. Past arm's length, I really cannot see. It's just one big blob and blur. And I begin to grope through the house, and I begin to uh, look for my glasses. My youngest son, Owen, saw me, and in... Um, in a voice that I'm afraid I'm going to hear a lot more when he's a teenager, he said, Daddy, what are you doing? And I said, I can't see. My glasses are broke. And you know that booger just kept watching his cartoons and didn't even get up and try to help me? (laughs) He got his answer, and he just kept right on doing what he was doing. You know, it's not just our physical eyesight that fails us. But in this fallen world where we are all too aware that sin is there and we know its effects, we lose people we love, we get in arguments that we look back on and think, why did I ever say that or why did I do that? A million ways that we experience heartbreak. We know that it's not just our physical sight that fails us, but our spiritual sight, our awareness of what God is doing and what His plan of love is for us, it fails us and we do not see it. We may be dimly aware that God's up to something, but we are blind. We cannot see. And so it's important to see this morning. And it's important for us to know that God is aware of this brokenness and that God desires, He desires for you to see Him clearly and to see His work clearly. So to help us think about this, to help us to understand this need to see clearly, that we don't see clearly, and we need to see clearly what God is doing, to help us do that, we're going to focus in on a prayer that the prophet Elisha prayed in the Old 
Testament. We've been preaching through the life of Elisha on Sunday mornings, and we're, he's into the heart of his ministry now. And this morning, we're going to see a prayer that when a crisis erupted in Israel, a prayer that Elisha prayed uh, that others, especially one guy, would see clearly what God was doing. So go to 2 Kings, if you have a Bible, you can go to 2 Kings chapter 6. If not, you can just listen along. 2 Kings chapter 6, and go to verse 8. And I want us to read together this story from the Old Testament of a crisis and the prophet Elisha's response uh, to these set of events. 2 Kings there in the Old Testament, chapter 6, starting in verse 8. It says, Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such a such place shall be my camp. He says, All right, we're going to attack this place, and we're going to attack that place, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. And it kind of seems like he didn't send in just one overwhelming force, that he sent in uh, a lot of light cavalry, and they would just attack these different places. And so the king of Syria begins to come up with his plans, right? And he, he says, we're going to go to this place, and uh, we're going to go to that place, and this is how uh, we're going to do what we're doing. All right, verse 9, but the man of God, this is Elisha, he sent unto the king of Israel and said, Beware, beware that you pass not such a place, for there the Syrians are come down. Every time the king of Syria would do this, every time he would send in uh, his troops to harass or attack and cause problems in Israel, Elisha was able to warn, was able to warn the king of Israel. Don't be there. Don't go there. Don't get caught in this trap. So this keeps going on and on. Verse 10, the king of Israel, it says verse 10, the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of and saved himself there not once nor twice. That's why we know it keeps happening over and over again. Over and over again, uh, the king of Syria's plans are thwarted because Elisha is able to warn and tell this is where they're going to be. Don't go there. Don't get caught. Don't get trapped. Verse 11, Therefore the heart of the king of, the Syri of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. Remember, the Syrians are the big dogs. They've got uh, the strong army. They've got the strong weapons. Israel is a small little nation. And so the king of Syria was troubled. And he calls his, called his servants and said unto them, Show me, will you not show me? Which of us is for the king of Israel? He says, who in my council is telling the king of Israel what's going on? Who is leaking, uh, leaking out this information? And one of his servants said, none, my lord, O king. But Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, he tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedchamber. He says, Elisha knows what you're up to. If you've been reading with us, we know... We know about Naaman and Naaman being healed by God. And Naaman was a mighty general. And so we know that in Syria, Naaman has gone back home and they know that there is one there uh, who speaks for God. And so they say, Lord, it's not us. It's this man, Elisha. And so what does the king say? He said, go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And they told him, they told the king, they said, behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he horses and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and they compassed the city about. He sends his cavalry, his, his chariots, his horses. He sends them in and they surround the city of Dothan. And when the servant of the man of God 
is risen early, gets up early and gone forth, behold, a host, whole host, compassed or surrounded the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant, Elisha's servant that helped him, said, Whoa, alas, my master, how, what are we going to do? How should we do? What are we, we going to do? Elisha, he answered and said, Fear not. Fear not. Isn't that what the angel told Mary when she was told, You will conceive of the Holy Ghost and give birth of Jesus? And that scared her. And the angel said, Fear not. If you're God's child today, seeking to honor him, that would be his word to you. Fear not. What is, he, what is, what is, what is said? He answered and said, Fear not. Elisha said, Fear not to his servant. For they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Well, how can that be? They don't have an army. They don't have soldiers. What is he talking about? Here we go. Verse 17. And Elisha prayed. And he said, Lord, I pray thee. I pray to you, Lord, open his eyes. Open the eyes of of the servant that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man. And he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray you, with blindness. And they were. They were struck and they were smote with blindness according to the word of Elisha. He prayed, Lord, help him to see the spiritual reality that is going on. Help him to see that we're not alone here, but the God of angel armies is with us, present with us, and his forces are watching over us. And the man was able to see it, it said. And then the opposing army is struck with blindness. Blindness. Well, what happens after that? Verse 19. Elisha's, well, verse 18. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed in the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray you, with blindness. And uh, it happened. They got the blindness according to the word of Elisha. And Elisha said unto them, This is not the way. He did, he, did, he, this army that came to get him and to take him back, the tables are now turned and Elisha begins to lead them. Elisha said to them, this is not the way, neither is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. They can't see. And so he kind of sneaks up there to that army. He says, hey, you're looking for Elisha. You can't see anymore. Well, let me lead you. But what did he do? He led them to Samaria. He led them away. Came to pass when they were coming to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they saw. And behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. And the king of Israel, he's there. He's excited. He's got this army that's been wanting to catch him and harass him and defeat his people. The king of Israel said unto Elisha, when he saw them, my father, shall I smite them? He wants to know, shall I kill them? Shall I smite them? Shall I kill them? It, it repeats it. It's like he's kind of excited. He's finally got the enemy there. He wants to know, can I kill them? Can I, can I kill them? Please, please. Verse 22, but Elisha answered and said, you shall not smite them. Would you smite those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow, that, that's a little unclear. He may have been chastising him with the question of saying, you didn't take them captive. Kind of asking them, do you, you know, if you took them captive, they're yours. But in asking that question, it could be that he's implying, you didn't take them captive. It's up to the Lord to decide what happens to them because he's the one uh, that has taken them. And what does Elisha say? This is so interesting, and we're going to get back to this at the end of the message. They don't kill them. He says, set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. And he prepared great provision for them. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master. So the bands of Syria came no more into the land 
of Israel. They came no more unto the land of Israel. Verse 17, Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray you, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man. And he saw and behold that the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. This young man was afraid. And we all have moments of fear. I'll share this with you because Brother Anthony and Miss Catherine Hammock have shared this with a number of people since Wednesday. And, uh, and so, so I feel free sharing this with you. On Wednesday when Brother Anthony got the call that, he had, that his liver transplant had come in, which he'd been praying for and waiting for, he got that call Wednesday night. And uh, I was with our college young adult worship service there, and it was probably getting close to 9 o'clock, and we were winding down. And Brother Anthony called me, and Anthony said, My liver has come in. And uh, we're going to have to leave in a couple hours and get to Vanderbilt and get ready for this, for this transplant. And it was exciting. You know, it was exciting to get that call. And so when I left church Wednesday night and headed home, they lived close to our house. And I thought, I'm just going to drive by and see if the lights are on and, and if they're still here getting ready. And uh, I'm going to pray with him. And so, I, I mean, they live really close to our house. And so I, I rode over to Mr. Anthony and all the lights were off. And I thought, well, they've probably already left, or at least it looked like all the lights were off, and I thought, they've probably already left. And I thought, well, I'm just going to call and make sure. And they were still there. And uh, so I came in to pray with him. And Brother Anthony, he was shaking. He was shaking. And he was afraid. And Miss Catherine, she said this several times. She said, he's not been afraid during this whole process. And if you've seen him at church, I mean, he's just been his regular old self most, most Sundays, just himself. And she said, he's afraid. And Brother Anthony said, I've done fine, but now I'm, um, he said, man, I'm, I'm, I'm getting afraid. And I looked at him, I said, well, I'd be afraid too. This is a major surgery. I mean, that, that's normal. And we prayed. We prayed that the Lord would take that fear away and that he could do what he needed to do. I've never seen his son Andy, never seen Andy afraid until the day of the surgery. The next day they did the surgery and went down to Vanderbilt. And Andy, you could tell Andy Hammock, he, he was afraid because his dad was back there in surgery. And they were worried. And Brother Marty and Teresa were down there. And they can tell you, when they began to bump Brother Anthony's surgery back at the time, they kept saying, well, he's going to have to stay an hour longer in surgery and then another hour late, you know, later. You can see the family starting to get worried and starting to think, oh, I hope that everything is okay. We've all been afraid. In fact, if you would just be honest before God today, if you've ever been afraid before, say amen. We've all been afraid. We've all been afraid. We've all had moments where fear has come about us because we have seen what lies before us. We have seen the situation that we're in and it is frightening to us because we maybe don't know what to do or we don't know what the outcome is going to be. All of us have faced obstacles in our life that make us afraid. And Elisha's servant, he is afraid because the Syrians have come to capture his master and they might be taking Elisha off back with them, but they're probably going to kill and hurt a lot of other people. And so the servant probably had in his mind, this is not going to be good for us. And there were chariots, and there were horses, and there are all these visible things that made him afraid. The odds were stacked against God's people. And so Elisha's servant response is probably what our response would be in a natural state. He fears, he panics, and he asks What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Elisha, however, knows that the servant is not seeing clearly. He thinks he's seeing clearly, 
but he's not. He does not see clearly because he does not see what God is up to. So Elisha doesn't answer the servant's question. He doesn't tell the servant, this is what we are going to do, and then outline it. That's not what he does. Instead, Elisha offers a prayer for his servant, and he prays not, here's what we're going to do, our ten steps. He prays first that his servant could see what God is doing and see that God was already at work in the situation. Spiritually, there are times that we panic. And we want to know, what do we do? We want to know immediately the plan of action. What God demands of us first is to trust Him and to see that it's not so much about our plan of action, but it's about His plan of action and accepting and getting on board with what He is doing. If you want to see clearly God at work, say amen. This man panics and he fears. And he wants to know, what are we going to do? The prophet says, no, no, no. What you need to do is to see what God is doing. And then get on board with that. This morning is a pastoral prayer. I pray for all of you who are concerned about family, concerned about friends, concerned about your country, concerned about your city, concerned about your school. I pray this morning if you are concerned about yourself and your situation, My prayer is that you will, by faith, see what God is doing. In particular, I pray that you will see clearly three activities or three ways that God is active among His people. You say, all right, Pastor, you say that we need to see clearly what God is doing, but what does that mean? What does it mean to see clearly what God is doing? Well, let me share three ways with you. Number one, number one, a thing that we all need to pray for one another and for ourselves, is first we need to pray that we will see God's presence. We need to ask the Lord, Lord, help me to see your presence in this world. Elisha's servant was comforted when he saw God's presence in the horses and chariots of fire that had surrounded Elisha. And over and over again in the Bible, God demonstrates his presence through fire. There's Moses and the burning bush. There's the pillar of fire that guided the Hebrew children in the wilderness uh, there when they they were uh, going through. There was at Mount Sinai the fire that came down. You may not be familiar with Judges 13. Judges 13, there's a man named Manoah. And Manoah and his wife offer up a sacrifice. And the Bible tells how the angel of the Lord came down or appeared through The fire, heavenly fire, came down when Solomon dedicated the temple. And we are told in Revelation, when Jesus is described in the book of Revelation, what do his eyes look like? His eyes, I believe, his eyes, the text says, look, he's got white hair. The Bible says it's like this, the ancient of days there, and his eyes are like fire. Just as Elisha's servant was comforted when he saw God's presence through fire, I pray that God would give you the ability to see His hand at work, that you would see His presence at work clearly. Uh, when 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 the Hebrew children, when they were there in the wilderness... That allowed them to both see God's presence, but also uh, imagine those around them. Imagine seeing that and and the protection uh, that it represents. So we pray to see God's presence. We also pray to see God's shelter. 
We want to see his presence. We want to see God at work. We also ask that we may see the shelter of God because when we are fearful and when we are panicking and when we are afraid, we need to look to the shelter that God provides because you may try to construct your own way of feeling safe and construct your own way of I'm going to keep this thing together by doing this and doing that and I'm going to provide this and I'm going to provide that. And there's some ways you should do that. But let me tell you something. Our shelters in life are temporary. And they will fail us. And they will fall apart. And when your temporary shelters begin to fall and they begin to crumble, it is then that you realize there's really only one shelter. And that is the sheltering arms of God. These armies that appeared were sheltering a protective presence for God's servant. And that sheltering presence when the storms of trouble, when the, when the waves of heartache hit in your life, when those uh, winds of crisis blow, it's not just for Elisha and his servant that God's sheltering presence is there. It is for all his people. It is for me and it is for you. Psalms 34, 7 and 8 says, The angel of the Lord encamps round about them. Round about them, plural. This sheltering of God is not just for somebody else. Listen, Psalm says, The angel of the Lord encamps round about them that fear him and delivers them. For those that trust in God, the same angel armies are there to prepare and protect and to shelter. Listen, the Psalm goes on and says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good and blessed is the man or blessed is the woman that trusts in him. If you are glad for God's shelter, say amen. There is a sheltering presence. And the angel of the Lord encamps round about not just the psalmist and not just Elisha, not just Moses, not just the great heroes of the faith. It says that the angel of the Lord is there for all those that fear him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And blessed is the man and woman that trust in him. My friends, we worship today because God's shelter is for you. God has not left you alone and exposed. We feel that way. We feel like that servant who felt uh, feeble and naked before these great armies. We feel that way with our own fears in our life. We feel alone. And maybe if we're lucky, we can hold somebody else or be there with another person, but even that, there are things in life that hid, and even another person cannot feel the loneliness that you feel inside. But my friends, God has not left you alone. Oh, sin and enemy cloud our vision. But my friends, God is there. And we need to pray like the psalmist, O oh Lord, let me taste and see. Let me trust in the Lord and let me feel his sheltering presence in my life. Proverbs 29, 25. Look at it on the screen with me. Look what the proverb said. The fear of man brings a snare. When we're afraid, be careful because it is a snare. Fear will trap you. But whoever puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. I love that word, whoever. That's you, that's me, that's us. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. When we feel we are exposed to danger, when we think we have no protection, we're in trouble because we will panic. 
And you can either panic or you can lay your plans at God's feet and trust Him and and look to what He is doing. But if you're not seeking, if you're not acknowledging, if you're not trusting, you are in trouble. Because when the crisis hits, you will panic. You will make the wrong decision. When I was in, I think it was 8th grade. It was either 7th or 8th grade. I think it was 8th grade. We were in the cafeteria there in the old junior high. Back when... There was no uh, middle school system. Everybody, uh, all good, had their own junior high, I believe. But for everybody else, you went to the Cookville Junior High. Brother Albert worked there. And uh, one day at lunch, I was skinny. I mean, I was super skinny back then. Super, super, super skinny. I was tall and lanky. And I had those big, thick glasses. But my dad got me a pair of contacts in eighth grade. One of the best things he ever did for me. Literally changed my life, I'm serious. If you could see how horrible, you can't actually, in their old church directory of this church, there's a picture of me in those hideous big glasses that I had. He got me contacts. And I was so glad when I got them. Changed everything. Changed a lot of things. You know, when I played basketball, I didn't have those big clunky glasses on anymore. I mean, it was just great. And I had those new contacts. And I, and I hadn't had these contacts long. And they were, I don't know if you remember hard contacts, the old hard Glass contacts, that's the kind I had. And one day at lunch, I was eating, and I, and I played basketball and stuff, and there was a guy that I played basketball with, and uh, we were friends at school but not out of school, and he was, he was the biggest African-American kid in our grade, and he was big. He's like, you know the eighth graders that look like they're 20 years old? That was Billy Bohannon. He was big. He was so good that Riverdale High School in Murfreesboro stole him from us to play football for them when he got in high school. They stole him away. He was big. And he, and he liked to pick on kids. I was too skinny to pick on anybody. I didn't pick on anybody. But Billy picked on people. We were on the basketball team together, and we played sports together, but we didn't hang out outside of school, but we ate lunch together. And Billy Bohannon just had these new contacts that I just was so happy about, had these contacts, hadn't had them long, and Billy Bohannon picked up a ketchup packet. You wouldn't think there's much to a ketchup packet. He picked it up, and the temperature in the room must have been just right. The way that he threw that ketchup packet must have just been just right, because when he threw that at me, it hit my glass contact and shattered the contact and cut my eye. And I, on that day, made one of the dumbest decisions I've ever made because I feared and I panicked, and I called him the one name you don't call him. And he reared up, and he let me know, the only reason I'm not about to beat you black and blue is because you have got this horrible situation going on. Let me tell you something. I survived that situation And I never called anybody that name again because I didn't want to get beat black and blue. In your life, if you fear, if you panic, if you get afraid, the enemy will strike and you will crumble and you will fall and you will make all the wrong decisions and before you know it, you will be undone. And so in your life, when there is trouble that comes your way, the immediate response is not, what am I going to do? The immediate response is to fall before God and say, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? So I would say to students today, what are you afraid of? What fear is in your life where you feel alone 
and you feel exposed, you need to ask the Lord, Lord God, show me your presence. Show me your shelter that you have for me. Moms and dads, what are you afraid of with your family? Maybe something's already occurred in your life and it has shaken you to the core and you don't know what to do. Today, God would say to you, seek my presence, seek my shelter. Senior citizens, senior saints that are with us, what is there in your life that is going on that makes you afraid? What is bringing fear into your life? We need to pray like Elisha, Lord, allow me to see your presence And Lord, allow me to see the shelter that you have for me. When I was angry and I was afraid in that day in 8th grade, I made the wrong choice. And in our lives, when we are afraid, the Bible says, not me, this isn't just my mere wisdom, the Bible says that it is a snare. Because when you are afraid, it will trap you. But blessed is the one who will trust in the Lord. As you get older, the battles change. The fears change. One constant, though, is the devil does not want to see you. He does not want you to realize and to see with spiritual eyes that God has you in the palm of his hand. So this morning, I pray, as we see Elisha prayed, I pray that you will see God's presence. And I pray that you will see God's shelter. And finally, I pray that you will see God's provision. Not only will God give you shelter... But God also has given you all that you need to follow Him. God has provided fully for your salvation. There are all kinds of stories in the Bible of people that lose sight or don't have sight, and God gives them sight. Uh, And and we can think of many examples of that in Scripture, of people that don't have sight. In this story, there are two sets of people that can't see. Uh, First, we get uh, the servant. He can't see, right? He can't see what God is doing. He can't see the way that God is protecting and providing. But as we enter into the second half of the day's text, it switches. The servant can then see, but the soldiers that have come, they lose their eyesight. That is interesting. Because the truth is, the story of your life and the story of my life is the story of these Syrian soldiers. They are opposed to the work of God. And their master has sent them to try to harm and to do wrong. And when you are in sin, when you have not been washed by the blood, when you have not been cleansed by Jesus, you are part of an enemy army. An enemy army army that has the devil himself as the leader of those forces. And when you are far from God and separated from Him, you are a part of His work when you are disobedient to God and when you oppose the path and the message that Jesus has proclaimed, when you are trusting in yourself instead of Christ, you are at war with God. But you will find that you are blind. The thing about sin is one day you will wake up and you will realize that what you thought you were going to do, you're not able to accomplish. And you can no longer see just like these soldiers. But the Bible tells us that the Lord God just as Elisha did, will open your eyes. At that moment, here, the king of Israel shows up, right, when their eyes are open. And he wants to destroy them. And we can understand why. They may even, uh, they may even deserve to die. My friends, you deserve to die. We've all sinned. 
We've all been disobeying the Creator. We all deserve to die. And so the king of Israel in that story, he shows up and he says, hey, do we kill him? Do we kill him? We finally got him. We finally got our enemy. Do we slaughter them all right now? Do we kill them? Do we destroy them? And Elisha says, no, they're not yours. They're not yours. You didn't take them captive. God has done this. And God has something bigger than slaughter in mind. God has in mind that they will go back to Syria and they will proclaim the name of the living God. Does your sin trouble you? Does your disobedience bother you? Have you woken up and realized that I've been fighting for the wrong side? And you hear the devil's voice in the background saying, can we kill him? Can we kill him? Can we destroy? Can we end? My friends, just as Elisha gave life to the enemy, God has given life to you. He is there. And you need to see the provision that He has provided you through His Son, Jesus Christ. When you see Jesus, it changes everything. When you see Jesus, the spiritual blindness goes away. And you can begin to see through Jesus and through His life and through His calling and through His path, all this discipleship of following Jesus is about your eyes being open to see what God is doing for sinners like you and me. If you are glad that you were once blind, but now you see, say amen. amen. We're going to sing Amazing Grace. And as we sing Amazing Grace, we're going to think about all those that have been blind that now see. But my friend, as we sing Amazing Grace this morning, if you have not embraced Jesus, if you have not accepted His provision and His shelter and His presence in your life, today you can. Today you can make a commitment that you will follow and that you will trust Him. And all it takes is being honest about your sin and asking Him to forgive that sin and to save you. And the Bible says He will. You can have a new path, a new life today. Are you afraid? Do not panic. Look to the amazing grace of our wonderful and mighty God. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to sing as we sing Amazing Grace. You come. What number, Brother Cecil? 230. 230. Listen, if you need to pray out of fear or panic or salvation, whatever's going on, if you need to pray today, you come. If not, let's sing of God's amazing grace this morning. Can you imagine those Syrian soldiers? They expect to die. They expect to be killed. And yet they got a taste of God's grace, of freedom, and salvation, of liberty. Are you afraid today? Ask God to open your eyes that you may see. We fear for our nation. We fear for our children. We fear for ourselves, for the evil that we wonder, where did that come from? God's Word says, pray and ask that you may see. 
Sing it out and sing it loud and praise the Lord this morning. Let's sing together. Let's sing of those years to come when we will sing His grace. Lord, thank You for Your grace. Thank You that You love us. Thank You that You've washed us with Your blood. We sang about earlier. Lord, thank You for stories like Elisha that reveal to us the protection that You provide in our lives. Lord, we pray this morning for one another and for ourselves. We pray to You that, Lord, we would be aware of the work of protection that You provide in our lives. Lord, I pray that there'll be no headline in the news. There'll be no message from the doctor. There'll be no phone call or texting from a friend or a loved one this week that will cause us to panic or to fear. Lord, help us instead to trust in Jesus Christ and His amazing grace. Lord, we go today in the peace of this Lord who has saved us. In Jesus' name we give you this service. Amen and amen.